Colossians chapter 3, as today we get to do a study called Family Matters. We're going to show a clip from Urkel. Can you remember that guy? Some of you guys don't know who that is. Huh? Man, how are you going to fix the world? The world is so messed up right now. You know, I don't know what your answer is. Maybe you've got an idea. You know, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man. And it ends in destruction. I mean, are we looking to our government? You know, are we looking to our educational system? Do you think maybe making more money is the answer to our problems? Of course we know none of those things help. I mean, things are getting worse. They're just getting worse. It's getting crazy what's going on in the world. And, you know, it's, it's to me a blessing to know that, you know, the way that God is going to change the world is one person at a time, one family at a time. You know, I don't know if you knew this or not, but when you go back to the book of Genesis, when God first made everything, you know, he uh, started off, first of all, with a personal relationship with God. That's how it begins. You, do you, do we have a personal relationship with God? I'm not talking about a religion. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about wearing the t-shirt. I'm not talking about, well, yeah, I carry a Bible around. Do you have a personal relationship with God? That's where it starts. And then after that, I'm talking about your family. Your family. Dads, moms, husbands, wives, kids, parents. Single people, you know, you're here today and you're thinking, well, I don't got no kids or I'm not married yet. Well, hopefully one day, you know, you will be. You want to get married? Raise your hand. Look around. That's the ones that want to get married. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty simple, right? So, I mean, hopefully one day you will get married. And so don't, you know, tune this out. And God's going to bless you. I was talking to a young guy earlier today. I was like, man, I would have never thought this drug addict, this drunk, this guy who was just a nothing but a loser, really. I mean, how am I going to live life? But God has blessed me. God will bless you if you put him first. He will bless your life because before you were born, he had this dream for you. He designed you in your mother's womb. He knit you together there with plans for your life. And so when you follow him, you get to experience the plans that God has for your life. But uh, if we're going to change the world, if we're going to make this planet a better place, it won't be through the liberal agenda that we have today. That won't be the answer. The, the whatever, the, the popular music and movies and all that kind of, is that going to change the world? No, it's going to be God working through our personal relationship and this type, of, uh, this type of husband and this type of wife and this type of dad and this type of mom and this type of kid and this type of family will change the world for better. I mean, it's, it's before the government was formed, there was a family. Before there was even a church, there was a family. And that's what we read in the book of Genesis. And that's why now as we come to this place in the book of Colossians, I mean, obviously to me, you can probably already tell, it's a passionate thing because I didn't have uh, that type of you know, upbringing. I didn't really have 
a family. I didn't have a dad who was there for me. My mom's tried, but it was such a struggle for her. I didn't have that growing up. And so, you know, when I got 20, it was 22 years old. I gave my life to Christ and then I started reading my Bible and then I just started praying and I started longing. and I started, Lord, this is what I want in my life. Lord, I want a family. And if you ever give me a family, God, I'm going to do the best I can. And, and you know, yeah, we fail. I failed as a husband and a dad. And, you know, I think all of us here, if we're honest, none of us have been perfect. But, man, I have tried with all my heart. And one day when I stand before God, yeah, I am going to have to give an account for the way I was a pastor or whatever the different roles. I was a teacher in the Bible college, a chaplain, whatever the case may be. But, you know, the first thing that I'm going to have to settle with Jesus before I stand, when I stand before Jesus is what kind of a husband were you? What kind of a father were you? Because family, family, is our priority. This is why I love God's word. And as we've gone through the book of Colossians, you know, it's been, first of all, well, let me tell you who Jesus is. You know, Jesus died for you on a cross. All your sins you ever did, past, present, future, were laid on him. He suffered the punishment that we deserve. He died. He rose again. He saved you. That's what Jesus has done. Now we can start talking about what we need to do. See, before we, oh, Manny, you got to do this, and you guys got to go, oh, yeah, well, there are responsibilities that we have, but first is this is what God has done for us, and then when Jesus Christ died on the cross and he rose again, uh, you know, the day of Pentecost came and he sent the Holy Spirit, and now God lives inside of us, and now you can be that type of husband. You can be that kind of wife, that kind of dad, that kind of mom, that kind of kid, that kind of parent, that kind of person. Because God lives inside of us. And so as he's given us the book of Colossians, he's saying, this is how rich you are, how blessed you are. I hope you know that. I hope you know you're loved. You know, you might be here, and as we're even singing the song, I'm thinking, man, Lord, I don't know if I understand this love. And God says, you don't even have to understand it. It's there for you. It's all over you. God will never give up on you. And so when we're looking at this, or okay, Lord, I'm loved. I am not a product of evolution. I am not an accident. I'm not going to believe that foolish lie. I was created by God in his image for his purpose. And when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I don't just stay six feet underneath in the dirt. No way. You just look inside and you know there's a soul that can go to heaven because of Jesus. And so now here we are. I don't know how much time I have left, but I know I got a wife and I know I got kids. And I want them to know the Lord. I want them to follow God and I want them to fulfill their destiny. And so we come to a place like this and, you know, you're, you're, when you read it, you might not agree with it. This is the Bible. I pray that you would know this is God's word. He put it in writing. 
Because I know, I have a feeling there might be some people here who read it and you're like, I don't know about that. Well, let's look what God says. Look what it says in Colossians 3 and verse 18. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And some ladies are like, I'm out of here. <laughs> Let me keep reading, okay? Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in some things. I'm just joking, it doesn't say that. <laughs> in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So what's your plan on fixing the planet? What's your idea in making this world a better place? Is it better than God's? Because this is God's. And he says, uh, first of all, you know, and again, we got to explain what this means. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And don't worry, we're going to get the guys in just a second. But we begin here with the ladies. And, you know, I, I don't know when a lot of, you know, now in the feminist movement, a lot of ladies would say, you know what, I don't like that. I don't like that. Well, listen, you're not disagreeing with me. You're not disagreeing with the church. You're disagreeing with God. God knows what's best. And so how does this work, Manny? The, the word submit is the Greek word hupotasso. And it's interesting because in the Greek culture, it was primarily a word that was used in the military and so right off the bat, we kind of have an idea that you and I, we're in a war. We're in a war. I'm going to get your kid, and I'm going to get him hooked on drugs. I'm going to get your son, and next thing you know, he's going to be addicted to pornography. I'm going to get your kids, and they're, yeah, they're going to be married for a couple of years, but then they're going to be divorced. Their kids won't have parents. I'm going to ruin their life. It's a war that we're in. And so right here, when he talks about the, the military word to arrange underneath, we're going to see it's not what you might think. It's because of the fact that we're in a battle. We're in a battle against ourselves, our fallen nature, against demons, fallen angels, against the world. First John five nineteen says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So we're going against the flow. It's a battle. So we need an arrangement. Now, my wife is here. And so she's arranged, so to speak, underneath me. And if I can just, you know, the way that I visualize it is she's right here underneath my arm. And I am going to protect her with everything that I've got. Sweetheart, would you be willing to arrange yourself right here so that I can protect you? And we're going to see that these men, men, guys like us, we need, you know, the, the ladies. Now, there, I don't know if you guys knew this or not. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Do you guys know that? And so I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 
And as Paul the Apostle, he deals a lot more in marriage there, verses 22 through 33. But before he gets into verse 22, in verse 21, he says something that's very important. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, notice what it says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And then he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So here is, I'm, Shelley and I, we've been married now for 31 years. It'll be 32 years, May 9th, right? And so I can, I'm not bragging, you know, when I say that I've submitted to her way more than she's submitted to me. <laughs> Honestly, I can say that, you know. You want Taco Bell? I want Chick-fil-A. So we're going to Taco Bell, whatever, stuff like that. No, I'm just joking. She would usually choose the healthy stuff. So, you know, like I remember when Almani, when the, her whole idea about maybe starting a church in the city of Almani came into my mind, you know, I, I went and, um, you know, I did you know, street witnessing and it was really cool to see some guys actually give their lives to Christ. But then I came home and I told her about it and she said, no, absolutely not. Now, if I wanted to, if I was a jerk, if I was some, you know, a domineering husband, then I could have said, hey, too bad, so sad. The Bible says you're supposed to submit to me. And I could have said, you know, hey, I'm going to, you know, rank, pull my rank right here. But we're going to see that that's not the way it works. You know, what God wants us to do is have an understanding. Like, listen, man, you're, you're supposed to be a servant to her. Now, there may be times where, yeah, you know, this is the decision that we have to make. But, man, for the most part, I'm going to make my decisions based on what's best for her. You know, when you read here, notice what it says in Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Now, there's two words there that stand out. He says that, right, the, the Bible says that the, the, the husband is the head of the wife. And again, a lot of people don't like that, but you have to understand what that means is that God has promised, the God of the universe has promised to lead your family through your husband. When Joseph and Mary were being led by the Lord, Mary, very godly, godly, godly woman, but yet the, the, the angel led the family through Joseph. So when it says he's the head, number one, understand that God will use your husband. Now, it doesn't mean that we're any better. We're going to see that. Uh, just like when you go to work, many of you work with people who are way less brilliant than you are, right? But they're your boss. <laughs> and I'm not trying to say anything bad about husbands. All I'm saying is that I'll be the first to admit I'm a knucklehead. But for some reason, God's amazing grace has said, I'm going to lead your family through him. God says, this is the way that I'm going to direct because he's your, husband, he's your head. And then secondly, it says that he's the savior. And so you're like, wait a minute, the husband being the savior, not the savior in a redemptive sense, not a spiritual savior. Jesus is the savior, but your husband is going to be called to be supposed to be the protector, the protector of your family. 
And so what the Lord is saying right here is, wives, be submissive to your husband. You know, it has to do with his attitude of support. It has to do with the attitude of confidence. Sweetheart, I'm praying for you. I know that God is going to lead you. We're going to do this together. And she's not fighting him on it. And as a result of that, he is leading uh, as he's following Christ. And he is protecting that family. Because one of the things you'll find is that men are protectors. I mean, women are too, don't get me wrong. But what we see is that, you know, men are men, women are women. Which ones are better? Well, men are better at being men. And women are better at being women. Amen? How many of you guys saw the Stephen Curry three-pointer thing yesterday? Right? Case in point. I'm just joking. I won't. You know, we live in a world now that wants to obliterate the differences. No, there was a book recently read. Actually, it was a long time ago. It was written, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Very different, right? And so we have to be careful that we don't obliterate the differences that are there. God says, I will lead, I will protect. This is the responsibility that I've given to men. Not a matter of equality. What we find right here is just a matter of responsibility. As a matter of fact, there's an interesting verse over in Galatians 3, in verse 28, where it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, it's an interesting passage because, you know, you're looking, well, wait a minute, Jew and Greek, there are differences. You know, the Jews are, are, you know, certain nationality, they live, you know, here, and then we got the Greeks, which are the non-Jews. Thank God for the cultural distinctions. Thank God for you know, uh, Mexican food. Thank God for hummus or pita bread or whatever it is, the cultural distinctions, right? And so you're wondering, then why does he mention that? All he's saying there is that there's no spiritual advantage any longer. Jew, Greek, doesn't matter. Slave, free, it doesn't matter. Rich, poor, social class, doesn't matter. Male or female, yes, there's a distinction, but there's not any advantage or spiritual advantage in these. And so what we find when you read the Bible is that men and women, they're equal in essence and nature, but they're not in function and office. First Corinthians 11.3 says, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Now again, not men over women, just husbands with that responsibility to lead and protect the family. Now, we know that the father and the son, they're equal in essence and nature. They're equal, but not in responsibility, function, or office. There's a really cool passage if you want to go to 1 Peter chapter 3. And here, Peter elaborates on it more for the ladies. But look what he says in 1 Peter 3, in verse 1. He says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. I mean, that's powerful. Think about it. If you're here and you're a sister and your husband is not a believer, you can actually win him to Christ 
And you wouldn't even have to necessarily say anything. You wouldn't have to be a, you know, put a track inside of his sandwiches or anything. You know, hey, take a bite on it. No, all you'd have to do is be your beautiful self. I mean, it's amazing. Look what he says right here. Even if some, uh, they, they don't obey the word, they without a word, maybe one, by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And so here, Peter is just saying, you're beautiful. I mean, of course, it's okay, ladies, you know, to fix yourself up and address uh, attractively for your husband. There's nothing wrong with that, but just ultimately understanding that that stuff, eventually it's not that big of a deal. What, what is amazing, what is impressive, what blesses our hearts is your inner beauty, your inward beauty when you would be willing, I need you, sweetheart. I need you to believe in me. I need you to be that, you know, that supportive wife. And even, yes, at times, that submissive wife. When we're trying to miss our best as a family to follow God. And then she's there and she's with you. Right here he says, man, that is an incorruptible beauty in the sight of God that God desires for the ladies to have. You know, it's a difficult thing. I'll be the first to admit, because like I said earlier, I do believe that ladies are amazing. I believe that the way that you're wired and the way that God has made you is just, if I had to say, you know, more complex than men. But um, at the same time, it can be a challenge. Because uh, according to Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, part of the fall or part of the consequences of the fall would be that as women you're going to want to rule over your husbands. How many of you ladies could say amen? Yeah, that's me. He may be the head, but I'm the neck, and I'm going to manipulate him, and I'm going to get what I want, right? I'm going to wear the pants. And it's, uh, part of it is just part of the consequences of the fall. But, you know, so that can be a, a very, very challenging thing. You know, here in Colossians, what we're finding is that God is going to call us to go against the grain of who we are. I'll tell you what, if it's hard for a woman to allow her husband to lead, if it's hard for a woman to be submissive, I'll tell you what, it's even harder, I think, in one sense, for the next thing we read here in the book of Colossians. And that is this, for a man to really love his wife. Because look what we read back in Colossians chapter 3. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. But he says, husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Now, of course, we know those commands to the wife and we're going to see later the children. If your husband ever asks you to sin, you don't have to submit to that in any way, shape or form, Right? But as a husband loves his wife, it's a different life. What I found, and especially for me, in teaching on marriage and counseling and all these years, 
is marriage is not complex or complicated. It's not surreal or sophisticated. This is what he's asking for wives. And this is what he's asking for husbands. To love their wives. And we're going to see later as Christ loved the church. You know, some of the saddest words you'll read in the whole Bible are over in the book of Genesis 29 and verse 31, where it says the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. There are some wives here today. There are some wives that are watching online. There are so many wives, unfortunately, even in the church, whose husbands don't really love them. And yet, this is the simplicity of what God's called us to do. You know, when you love someone, you put them before yourself. When you love someone, you constantly think about them. You wake up with them on your minds. You're wondering, well, how are they doing? What will their day entail? You communicate with each other because you care. How are they doing? How's my wife really doing? Spirit, soul, and body. I mean, you're consumed with them. And what we find, unfortunately, is just as a wife, I think the consequence of the fall wants to rule over her husband. Husbands, as a consequence of the fall, are very, usually men are very, very, very selfish. Why is he doing this? Because he doesn't really love his wife. Because he doesn't, he's putting himself before a lot of times the families. Men, because of the fact that we're leaders, a lot of times we just kind of go and we're not even, we're completely oblivious to those that we're uh, called to lead. What can I do to make sure that my wife is blessed in life? What can I do? Because one day, man, when, you know, life is all said and and done, will she really be able to say that she was glad that she married me? You know, I can ask you, sir, I can ask you, husband, whether or not you love your wife. And you can say, yeah, I love her. But let me ask her. Do you really put her before yourself? Do you wash her in the water of the word? Do you lead her spiritually? Do you care for her? Do you want to bless her, not only with the things that she needs, but the things that she really, really wants? See, it's a different life. It's a different world if husbands were to live like this. I hear one of the guys say, yeah, but Manny, you don't know my wife. The whole point of love is to love them unconditionally, to love them sacrificially, to seek their highest good, expecting nothing in return. This is what true love is. This is what agape love is. For a wife to be submissive is a high and holy calling. But what if your husband loved you like this? I'm telling you, this would improve our planet. This would change everything. Husbands are called to agape their wives. And if you go back to Ephesians again, if you would, Ephesians chapter 5, not just love our wives, but the standard here, he says in verse 25 of Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. 
that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. You know, when you look at these amazing expectations, the calling that God has given to us as husbands, he calls us to love our wives the way that Jesus loved the church. And, and as a result of that, this church would then be blessed and holy and blossom and without wrinkle and without spot, without blemish. And a lot of times husbands are like, well, I'll love her if she kind of gets her act together. Then I'll start loving her. And God is just saying, no, your love will transform her. Your agape love. And that's exactly what happened with Christ. If, I were, if you're here today, and let's just say your marriage is, is struggling or you're struggling, and, and you know, you're like, well, let's see. Well, who's, who's going to be the first to change? Maybe you're here today and you're elbowing your spouse. Like, hey, hey, babe, did you hear what he said? Wake up, wake up. You know, you're, you're elbowing your spouse. I would say this if I had to, if I had to say, Jesus died first. Jesus died first. Men, 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 be the initiators. Because Jesus died first. And then the bride followed. And I'm not saying, ladies, you have to wait until that happens. But all I'm saying is, man, imagine what would happen if it did. You know, 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. And it's a beautiful passage there in 1 Peter chapter 3. I mean, we're to honor our wife just because she's our wife. There's an honor that's due to her. And right there where he calls her the weaker vessel, you know, it could mean one of three things. Number one, it could mean that she's physically weaker. Although I have known some exceptions to that. Sometimes the lady's stronger than the guy, right? So it could be that she's uh, physically weaker. It could be that she's maybe more sensitive. Usually women are more sensitive, maybe cry a little bit easier. There's a reason for that because of the way that God designed you. Maybe there's an emotional weakness. Not always. That's not always the case. But probably what he means right there is that you are of the weaker vessel in that you have accepted this role of your willingness now to be submissive, to be under that, that, that arm, that leadership of your husband. And so in light of that, guys, he's saying leader in such a way. Because look, how blessed you are to have a wife. How many guys would just die for, to have a wife? You have been given this wife. And a lot of times I think men, they take it for granted. You know, what we find in Ephesians, he says, I want you to, to, to be this kind of husband. I want you to be like Jesus to her. I want you to be like Christ to her. Not the Antichrist. <laughs> what God is saying is so huge. You know, right here in the book of Colossians, he says, husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. You know, that could refer to unforgiveness. It could to refer to how some husbands are irritated and with their wives. But, but more than likely, the other translations say, don't, don't be harsh with them. 
You know, wives like tender and sensitive flowers will wilt under authoritarian dominance, but they'll blossom with tender, loving care. You know, I don't think there's any of you guys here like this, but imagine how crazy some of those guys used to be, man. Hey, woman, you know, make my food. Hey, woman, my, you know, I don't like the way this tastes. You better go recook this. You better go warm this up in the microwave. It's not hot enough for me. Hey, woman, get my slippers. How many of you women would go? <laughs> not supposed to do that. But some guys, unfortunately, they thought, well, since you're the, whatever, the head, you know, the machismo, unfortunately, they run with it like this. And God says, no, you have to love them and don't be harsh in your treatment for them. You know, I don't know if there's anyone here today who's almost given up on your marriage. You know, maybe you might counsel with someone, you single people, you might counsel someone, you know, and the, and the world is telling you, hey, tell them to leave them. You know, get a separation, get out of that relationship. Well, first, I always tell people, before you ever do that, exhaust your resources. Have you really tried God? Have you really tried God? But some people, unfortunately, their marriages are held together by dental floss and yarn. And maybe you're here today and that's you. I want to encourage you, if you're not feeling the love, I want to encourage you to walk this walk by faith. How do you love when you don't love? Last yesterday, we heard a study. Um, Pastor Dale was talking about after many years of marriage, His wife turned to him one day and she said, I don't love you anymore. What do you do with that? You know, by the grace of God, he just kept loving her and praying and seeking God. And the Lord restored their marriage. They've been married now for 55 years. In Ephesians, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. The devil told Jesus to serve yourself. Peter said to Jesus, pity yourself. His relatives told Jesus to show yourself. The crowd at Calvary told Jesus to save yourself. But Jesus just gave himself. And that's what we're called to do as husbands. Right here, he's talking to wives. He's talking to husbands. And then in verse 20, notice what he says. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And so, you know, you're a a kid and you're living under their roof. There's a bed and then there's a roof overhead. This is what God is saying to, to the children. And some kids, they don't like this. Children, obey your parents. In all things. Can you believe that? They, they think it would be better if the Bible said, children, give your parents a hard time. <laughs> children, resist your parents. Children, disrespect your parents. Children, if your mom or dad asks you to wash the dishes or take out the trash, first diss them, then disobey them. After all, you know what? They can do it better themselves. Tell your parents to clean your room. They could do a better job. Tell your parents to make your bed. They're better at that, right? They have more experience. You know, there you are as a kid. There is no room in your heart to take into consideration 
all the sacrifices that have been made since the moment your mom began to carry you within her womb. That doesn't mean anything to you. That's old. That's insignificant. You're not really interested in obeying your parents. Listen, as long as you're in their home and underneath their roof, doesn't matter what the age or stage is, it still stands. You know, they say that when a kid is right around 13 years old, Mark Twain said, lock them up in a barrel. <laughs> and then you put an air hole in there and you let them out when they're 19. Now, I know that's just, he's just being facetious, right? But sometimes when the kids eat, teen, when they reach the teenage years, nowadays it's pretty much the teenage years, Right? Um, you know what? I listen. If, you're, if that's you, let me just let me just talk to you for a second. I know I know your mom and dad are not as smart as you. I, I know they're not as smart as you, okay? But show them some grace. You have to admit this, wherever you are, kid. Nine out of ten, your parents love you more than anyone else in the whole world does. So come on, be honest. I understand you question their wisdom. I understand this, but you have to understand what God says in his word is what's best for us. This is the type of family that we need nowadays. Family is a fabric of society. What would happen if mom and dad had this kind of marriage? What would happen if this was mom, if this was dad, if this was husband, if this was wife, if this was kids, if this were our children? It would be a completely different world. What would happen if children not only obeyed their parents, but honored their parents, honored them? That's what the Bible says in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. You know, here in Colossians, it says to obey your parents in all things. Again, like I said, unless they tell you to sin. But you obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Imagine that. You know, mom says, hey, can you uh, wash the dishes? And you're on it. You're on it. Why? Because it puts a big smile on Jesus' face. Mom and dad say, hey, I want you to go to church. You don't fight it. Why why would you fight it? You obey them. You honor them. Because this is what God has called us to do as a society. You know, there are so many of us who are grown-ups now who no longer have mom and dad. You know, I don't have mom and dad anymore. And I would give anything anything to go back and hear a request, you know, maybe from my mom, Mio, can you take out the trash? No, son, hey, no more video games until you get your grades up. Many of us would love to hear those words. Why would mom and dad tell us such a thing? Because it's good for us and because they care. You know, what we find is that this whole, you know, instruction from from paul it it was radical you know for 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 the wife to have this kind of you know commands from the husbands and what we find right here even the next verse right here where it says fathers do not provoke your children 
lest they become discouraged, that right there was a big thing in the Roman days for you to actually give rights to the children. Now, again, this is where it began to balance things out. Children are to obey, but does that mean that fathers can mistreat their children? Absolutely not. The Bible does not advocate harsh treatment of children from their parents. Our parents, our parenting and our discipline must always be in a loving fashion. Now, um, I don't know where you guys are. Every kid's different and every parent's different. I think generally speaking, it's okay to give your kids a little spanking. You guys know that, right? And so the world may get mad at you. I will say this, don't leave a mark on them, okay? Because that's not loving them. I think that's harsh treatment. And when you're going to discipline your child, if you have to take the rod of correction to the seat of understanding, you make sure you do it in a loving way. You explain to them why this is happening. But the Bible does talk about that. I wish I was disciplined. My dad told me, I never spanked you. My dad told me this, I never spanked you because you're a good kid. And I said, Dad, I wasn't that good. You probably should have spanked me. (laughs) You know, but when you discipline your children, you love them. Now, eventually they reach an age where you can no longer, uh, 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 you know, put corporal punishment on them. Eventually it's a different type of discipline. But it's the discipline of love nonetheless because our Heavenly Father corrects us. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 11 and 2, uh, 12, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Mom and dad, why are you doing this to me? Because I love you. I love you. You know, Proverbs nineteen eighteen: chasten your son while there is hope, and do not set your heart on his destruction. Some of you here, you have little kids. Some of you here, some of you younger people, you're going to have kids one day. Okay, so you have to make sure that you chasten them while they're young. Don't just, well, parents, a lot of times they just do whatever their kids tell them to do. No, you discipline them. You raise them in the ways of the Lord. It says right there, chasten them while there's hope and don't set your heart on his destruction. Proverbs 13, 24 says, those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children, those who love their children care enough to discipline them because you will never be able to teach them and eventually train them and eventually coach them if you don't establish the authority. And it has to be that loving authority. But right here, we see that, that when you do it, you don't provoke them uh, lest they become discouraged. And that's important. Children are kind of like lumps of clay. We have to do our best to mold them in the way the great potter has planned for them. For at the end of the day, in all reality, they're actually his children. So don't frustrate them with inconsistencies or comparisons. Protect them, yes, but don't be overprotective. Have expectations for your kids, that's fine, but make sure they're God's expectations, not yours, that are imposed upon them. Listen to your children. Listen to what they have to say, because a lot of times, that's what messes parents up, is they won't listen to their children, and their children have so much more wisdom than you'd realize. Yeah, they respect you, but you got to respect them too. There's a mutual relationship here. I found this with my kids. 
They've become great counselors. Fathers are not to exasperate or provoke their kids to anger by unreasonable demands, petty rules, favoritism, or such things. Because such actions, and the Bible tells us, the Bible warns us that if we do that, our children will become discouraged. And that's the exact opposite of what we're trying to do in their lives. We want our children to courageously follow Christ and go out and impact this world for good. But how can we do that if we discourage them? We want to encourage them. The Bible talks about the children being like these arrows that a man has in his quiver and then eventually the day, the day comes, man, where he has to shoot them out. And hopefully when they go out, because of the fact that we've been living these things as wives, as husbands, as parents, as children, as fathers, as moms, then I believe that there'll be hope for this world. Because when I look at the world today, I know the answer is not going to be in our government. It's not going to be in what kind of movies we're going to make or what kind of media, music will we produce. I mean, those things have their place, but it pales in comparison to the impact that the family has on their children. You know, maybe you're here today and you're like, well, man, Manny, I'm all messed up because I was raised in a dysfunctional family. Well, that's when Jesus comes in. And Jesus can take no matter what your situation is, because if you knew my situation or Henry's situation or so many other people's situations, you know that there's still hope in Jesus Christ. But like we started off today, you have to make a decision to follow God. Not church, not religion a genuine, sincere, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That has to happen in your heart. And when that does, it's such a blessing. You know, I've been married now for 31 years and I have two children. And that's all I ever got. infinitely more than I deserve. I love my wife. I failed, but I'm not giving up. I love my kids. It's not easy being a pastor's family. It's not easy but I'm so proud of them. You know, my kids are amazing. And you know, some of them might look at my kids and they were like, well, shouldn't Aaron be president by now? And, <laughs> and shouldn't Ariel be this, that, and the other by now? And you know what? That's where we have to be really careful. You don't know God's plans for my kid's life. And I don't know God's plans for your kids, but I do know this, they're glorious. They're glorious. 
you know, and I'm already 35 years old, and I don't know how much more time I have left. But I wanted to dedicate a song to my kids. I don't know if they're here. I think they're here. I'm not sure. They usually come. My son graduated from Bible college, and now he's going to school, and he's doing a great job. I always tell people he's kind of in the slow lane, but he's going in the right direction. And I love him. He's full of wisdom and so much amazing things. And I'm so proud of him. My daughter, she works at the church, and she's an amazing person. Person. They love Jesus. They're not perfect, but they love Jesus. And so I'm going to close the service today with a couple of things. Number one, I want to encourage you to know how much God loves you. And I pray that you would follow the Lord. You single people, you get ready. One day you'll get married. You watch what God will do in his timing, right? And you married people, let's do the things that we shared today. Let's make sure that God comes first and then he takes care of all the details. So first of all, that's the most important thing, your relationship with God. But then you guys are my friends. Well, I hope you are. I'm, I'm an older guy. I like older music. Forgive me. I'm going to play an old song. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to dedicate it to my children. Because even though, yeah, life is hard. I believe in them. I believe in them. I believe in God. And I believe in them. And in one sense, because I'm an optimistic person, I believe in you guys too. I believe God's going to do a good work.